All right, so. Do you want to clap us in? You got mad at me last time I did it. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to the Balance for Life podcast. Our goal is to inspire you to become better, to uncover, unlock the secrets of lasting happiness and true success. Yeah. If you like what you hear, go ahead and give us a five-star review, hit the like button, comment, share, etc., and join us on social media at Balance for Life Podcast. So that's the number four at Balance for Life Podcast on social media, besides Twitter, where it's at Adam and, Adam Perry. and Perry. Yep. Look for us. Uh, we'll be releasing every Monday uh, weekly. So hopefully you've heard some of our previous episodes coming out on Mondays before. Um, if, you, if this is your first time joining us, welcome. And we're excited to have you here. Go back and listen to previous episodes and look for new episodes every Monday. On Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google. Now if you want to watch YouTube. Yep. And uh, anywhere else where you can find podcasts, it's probably on there because that's how it works nowadays. Hopefully. We're, we're trying to get as many places yeah. as we can. So in this week's episode, we are going to explore the far reaches of our brains. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about uh, the role that our mental health plays in our overall health. So the questions we want to answer here are what does it mean to be mentally healthy? And what are some ways that you can improve your mental health? Awesome. So I, I think one of the common misconceptions that we have is that being mentally healthy means that we're never sad. We're never down. We're positive all the time, right? It's positive vibes only and, and higher states of vibration, right? Which, which is a good thing, right? We want to be positive. We want to be in those higher vibration states. But does that mean that to be mentally healthy, we can never be down, we can never be angry, we can never be sad? No. I, I think the the key to being mentally healthy means that we're in control of those emotions. We recognize when we have a negative emotion and we can we can allow that and we can recognize the triggers that affect our emotions and and be able to control that, allow those emotions to manifest, allow them to be and then allow them to move on. I think that's really the key to mental health. There actually is a lot of power in just recognizing the way you feel and why mm -hmm. you feel that way. It's true. Sometimes that's all you need and let yourself feel that emotion while you need to feel it and then move on. Yeah. So um, one of the reasons I think our emotions are so important is because when we feel good, we do good, right? Mm -hmm. Feeling happy feeling good overall in a general sense, right? Obviously, we're not always happy, like you yeah. said. But feeling overall healthy, <laughs> healthy and happy at the same time is what I was trying to say. I like that. Let's yeah. use that. Healthy. Yeah, it's a good word. Healthy. So feeling happy overall helps mm -hmm. us to uh, be more motivated to accomplish our goals, to work harder, right? Physical fitness, whatever, yeah. all aspects of our life. When we have better mental health, we tend to just do better in all areas of our life. Absolutely. So, so let's talk a little bit about about what all of this means, right? Like, what what factors attribute to our mental health? How does that affect our overall health? Like, what what are some of the things that kind of come into play here? So, we've we've touched a little bit on the happiness chemicals, 
right? We've, we've talked about where those come from, you know, some of the research behind them, but what exactly are the happiness chemicals? So, you know, most of the research out there, if you Google it, if you, if you find a lot of medical journals or anything like that, they're going to talk about four specific chemicals that our body produces that are going to affect our mental health. Right. Um, so one of them is dopamine. Dopamine is kind of like the reward chemical. It's it's the one that's produced to help you want to achieve. So when you achieve something, your body releases dopamine, and that's what makes us that's what makes us feel good. Right. Mm -hmm. Makes us. It drives us to achieve. And I actually heard recently that the dopamine isn't actually re released when we accomplish something, but it's released when we are anticipating the the accomplishment. Mm -hmm. So it, it's kind of like when you start to think about um, that cake, right, mm -hmm. or that donut, um, you know, it's it's when your mouth starts to salivate and yeah. you, can, you can just... Mine is right you now. You know it's going to happen. That's when your body's releasing that dopamine. So it's kind of the anticipation of success. It's the anticipation of eating that cake. It's the anticipation of whatever it is that you want to do. And and I think a, a plug here is that I want to say is it's really important to find the things that release dopamine that are healthy for us because there are both positive exactly. and negative things that release dopamine. And one thing I've been learning a lot about lately is our phones. Mm -hmm. We receive dopamine, our, our brain releases dopamine when we think about checking our phones. And that's why social media can have a negative impact on our mental health is because we we open our phones expecting to, you know, to yeah. become happy from what we're looking at. To sometimes, get the likes. To get yeah, the, exactly. And yeah. sometimes what we see doesn't make us happy or give us a sense of accomplishment and it becomes a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Now it is, phones can do really positive things too. But mm -hmm. if we're obsessing over them too much, then that can cause problems. So yeah. focusing on the things that are healthy that release dopamine. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as we talk about the dopamine, I think something to keep in mind too is a lot of the research behind it is that addictions, right? What we are addicted to is not necessarily the action. It's not necessarily the drug. It's not necessarily whatever the thing is, mm -hmm. but it's that dopamine release, mm -hmm. right? It's that anticipation. It's the feeling that we get when we take that in. And so it, it is possible to get too much dopamine from exercise. It's possible to get too much dopamine from, you know, certain types of foods. It's it, whatever it is, right? It's, it's about the balance. It's about maintaining that healthy amount. Um, and we live in a society now where it's readily accessible and, yeah. and you can get those dopamine hits constantly. Mm -hmm. And that's what causes the addiction. So maintaining that balance, right? It's the moderation in everything that we do. But the, the dopamine is a good thing in small doses. Exactly. Um, the next one is endorphins, right? Endorphins, they're a hormone. It, it helps to reduce pain. So we've heard, everybody's heard about the runner's high, right? So as we are trying to push through trials, as we're trying to push through struggles, that's when our body's releasing the endorphins and it's helping to reduce the pain it's helping to cover up and kind of mask some of those things, increase the pleasure of whatever we're doing. And so it's those endorphins that are helping us to push forward and to, to boost our mood. So endorphins, another, another good chemical that our body's releasing um, that's going to help us feel better. Endorphins, the thing that I'll say about endorphins is exercising gives you endorphins. Endorphins mm -hmm. make you happy. 
and happy people just don't shoot their husbands. That's very true. Yeah, uh, that's... Do you know what that's from? No. Legally Blonde. <laughs> oh, I've never seen Legally Blonde. It's a, it's a good movie. Okay. Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, I've never... Anyway. <sighs> anyway, so, endorphins. Uh, serotonin is is another good one, and we, we've touched on this one as well. Um, serotonin is what is going to help boost confidence, right? It's kind of the leadership chemical. It's the one that makes you feel successful and, and accomplishing and it's going to increase satisfaction build loyalty build respect all of those kind of things build, boost your confidence boost your self-esteem um, so another another really good chemical that our body's releasing naturally and then the last one so sorry before we move on to the last one I feel nope. like we all know uh, how we get dopamine right mm -hmm. you, you mentioned that we all know one of the main things that gives us endorphins exercise. Mm -hmm. How do we get serotonin? How do we, what it's, do we do to have yeah, our brain so release it's, serotonin? It's interesting that you bring that up. So in the book, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek, he actually talks about and breaks down all of these different mm -hmm. chemicals and, and what they are and how we get them. Um, and so uh, what he talks about is, is our ancient ancestors. And so we, you know, we kind of touched on last week, or was it this week that we touched on uh, evolution of? It was last week. Okay. Um, yeah, so we kind of touched on last week the evolution of humanity and, and with the sleep, right? And mm -hmm. how our ancient ancestors slept when the sun was down and were awake when the sun was up. Um, so he, he takes it back there again for these happiness chemicals and kind of natural progression and how they were originally developed and, mm -hmm. and used. And so, you know, we all know how we get the dopamine. So the dopamine, what he talks about is the the hunters and the gatherers that would go out and search for food and as they would see um after they had made a kill they would see the blood trail and that would give them the dopamine boost to feel accomplished and to want to move on right it was the anticipation of the hunt of the mm -hmm. kill of whatever and then the endorphins were because sometimes they would travel long distances mm -hmm. and they had to keep going. And so they would get these little boosts of dopamine and then the endorphins would kick in and that's what drove them to keep moving, to keep hunting, to keep searching, and that's what kept them alive. The serotonin is what they would get after they came, brought their food back, whatever they had killed or gathered. And so they would bring that back, but they would make sure that there was a hierarchy, right? That the the leadership of the camp, whatever that was, whether it was a chieftain or a captain or whatever, um, the leader of the army, um, that, but they would make sure that that person, sorry, I've got something in my eye. <laughs> but as they would bring that back, they would make sure that the leader received the best cuts of meat or received, you know, first choice of food for that meal they would they would gather together and they would have this meal and the leader would be sitting in a position of superiority or seniority mm -hmm. and and they would be uh they would be served first mm -hmm. and so that that would give them um kind of a, that natural sense of loyalty and respect because they naturally would it, it, it had nothing to do with a title it had nothing to do with you know, a position of power, it had to do with the people coming together and, and bringing that person in or, or acknowledging that person as a leader and the respect that they had and the loyalty they had for that person. 
is what they would. So that, that one, he kind of associates with the loyalty chemical and the respect. Mm -hmm. um, and then oxytocin is the last one, which is what we consider the love hormone, right? It's, that's what gives us the warm fuzzies and, and makes us feel like we are special and, and feel that love, that bond for each other. Um, and so I, I think as we talk about these four chemicals, there are, uh, if we think about it, there are two that are considered the selfish chemicals, right? The dopamine and endorphins are ones that we get because of accomplishment in and of ourselves. And then there are two, the serotonin and oxytocin, which bring us together as people and as a group and, and help us to feel more, uh, more of a bond with other people. And so as these four chemicals work together, and we will talk more about them, I'm sure, in future episodes, um, but as they work together, that's, these are the chemicals that our body's producing to create that sense of happiness. Yeah. So some of the things that we can naturally do to increase these happiness chemicals, right, and improve our mental health are uh, less social media and real, more real social interaction. Yeah. So again, the addictions, right, mm -hmm. keeping away from... Yeah. Now, social media does have positive benefits, right? And it it's a way grow. for us to keep, yeah, it helps our podcast grow. <laughs> it also helps us keep in touch with people more uh -huh. easily over long distances, be able to share photos with grandparents, right? Yeah. Things like that. But uh, decreasing that social media. And one of the episodes I want to do is actually specifically around how to have a better relationship with our phones. So stay tuned for that. Mm -hmm. uh, keeping a journal can really help to just recognize that the positive things in your life, the things that you're grateful for. Uh, mm -hmm. Hobbies release endorphins, right? So whether that's a physical activity, uh, art, music, um, just gardening, right? Mm -hmm. All of those things. So having a hobby can, uh, can really help with that. One of the podcasts I listen to um, is called Retire Sooner, and he talks about how happy retirees have about four uh, hobbies on ster steroids, is what he calls them, core hmm. pursuits. Whereas unhappy retirees, it's somewhere in between one and two. I forget the exact yeah. numbers, like 3.6 and 1.4 hobbies or something like that. So, right. you know, having more hobbies makes you happier. Mm -hmm. um, taking care of things, you know, I mentioned the garden, having pets. Yeah. Uh, having children. I mean, they, they also make you frustrated and, and sad sometimes, <laughs> but also, uh, you know, having something to take care of makes you happier. Yeah. And, um, you know, that can, that can take a lot of shapes and forms. It's true. And then, uh, lastly, therapy or talking with other people. Now this, this can be with like a licensed therapist, someone who's a professional. And I think sometimes there's a stigma around that. And I think that's unfortunate because Absolutely. there's so much value to talking to someone that you don't really know who's trained to ask you the right questions and guide you through your thoughts and feelings. And that can be super helpful. Even if you feel like you're generally a happy person, I think having a therapy session once or twice a month can be really positive for you. I, I do that because my work provides that for yeah. me. So I don't have to pay for it, which is nice. Lucky. I know. So I have a session about every other week uh, with my therapist. Mm -hmm. And overall, I'd say I've been pretty happy recently. So it might seem like there's not a lot to talk about. But we get in and we talk about stuff and, you know, work through things that I'm not even actively thinking about, but, th but that are there. Yeah. So, but it doesn't necessarily need to be 
uh, a professional, right? I think talking with a professional can be really helpful, but even just talking with your significant other or friends. Um, I mentioned my wife and I take our dogs on walks, and one of the reasons we do that, it's not just for the physical health, the exercise. It's because it gives us a chance to talk to each other um, without interruptions, and we just walk while we talk, and for some reason that action just really promotes uh, conversation between us and dialogue. Absolutely, yeah, and I think you know that talking therapy is, is such a key aspect. Journaling, you know, kind of in a similar avenue it is just a way for us to kind of release those thoughts, right? We all have millions and millions of, of electrical releases in our brain constantly. And so to be able to release those is kind of just a way that we can process everything. So Definitely. yeah, I think that's awesome. And my wife and I, I, I think... Um, you know, we don't have like specific times when we're going to have these conversations. And sometimes it happens after the kids are asleep and it's like 11 o'clock at night and we're ready for bed. Right. And some, some topic of conversation will come up and we'll end up talking for two or three hours about, you know, some, something that is bothering one of us and, and we'll be able to kind of process through that. And, and those conversations and those times that we have are, are some of the, things that bring us closer together. It's, you know, it releases that oxytocin that, that brings you, bonds you closer together as, as a couple or, or as friends or as whatever, whatever it, it might be. But I think it's amazing how, how helpful that can be with your mental health. And just like you said, even talking, like, like for me, talking with my wife can be sometimes the best form of therapy that I have to just be able to release some of that frustration. And, and to be able to vent out some of those things, you know, sometimes a, a lot of times it may be things that we've kind of shut away mm-hmm. uh, and locked up in the back of our brain that is just, you know, just asking the right question or getting started on that process and somehow being able to get that conversation started. Yeah. So saying how you feel in a tactful way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I'll say about both therapy and having open conversations with your spouse, significant other. Um, I mentioned, I think in our first episode, how my wife and I lost a child. And uh, one of the things I've learned is that when, when a a married couple or just a couple loses a child, it has a real possibility of driving a wedge between you. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people, their relationship doesn't last after that happens. I think one of the keys for me and my wife was seeing a therapist together. Mm -hmm. So we, we had therapy sessions for a couple of months afterwards and probably could have gone longer, but that was super helpful. But one of the things that she helped us to do was to make sure we were talking together. And I think there's a stereotype that maybe is somewhat warranted that uh, men tend to not want to talk as much. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's because I have five sisters, and so I grew up around <laughs> women. I don't have that problem, fortunately. Right. I am totally open to talking with my wife about, you know, problems that we have, and I think that's been a real positive in our relationship. My wife is also uh, very, you know, she loves talking with me. That's one of the things that makes her happy, and so that's one of the reasons I think why we've had a good relationship. So I think if you're one of those people that really struggles to talk, the only way to get better at it is to practice. Yeah. And you might need to, to talk with a professional therapist as part of that, or or maybe it'll, you know, just doing it on your own, you might be able to get there as well. 
but practice talking, practice opening up. It's hard, but it gets easier as you do it. Absolutely, it does. Yep, absolutely, it does. Um, so I think this is kind of a difficult subject to breach because so many people are so uh, strongly opinionated mm -hmm. one way or another on sure, it. Sure, yeah. And, and so talking you about... avoid it right now if you want and talk about it later. That's I'm fine with that. Yeah, avoidance is a very good skill to have, right? Um, no, but I think medication is, is something that needs to be talked about, something that needs to be discussed. And, you know, there are there there is a very severe divide between people who are for medication and people who are against medication. There are some in the middle, but... I think that people on both sides tend to have good points. And so probably that middle road might be the, the way to go. But Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think, you know, medication is something that needs to be talked about. It's something um, that needs to be discussed and shared and, and definitely something that you need to be talking with your significant other, with your family, with whoever is close to you. Um, whether or not that is the best option, you know, there are, there are a lot of, things out there and there are a lot of options out there and a lot of different medications that can be taken and maybe this is something that we'll discuss in a future episode um, some of the different options that are mm -hmm. out there and maybe some of them that we've had experiences with whether ourselves or, or other family members um, but talking about medication but having that again open discussion I think is going to be the key there is whether or not it's going to be the best option whether we need to pursue other choices or whether that might be kind of a last resort kind of a thing. Yeah, and I think the thing to keep in mind is that um, it's a case-by-case -case basis. Yep. Everybody's situation is different. I know there's, you know, on one extreme you have, I think there's a book called Potatoes Not Prozac, where they their, their goal is to help prevent, you know, medication for mental health by doing other things to take care of your body, which is, is a big part of our goal here. Absolutely. A big part of our goal is to help us to get to where we're happy uh, and, and we have a balanced and fulfilling life because of all these natural things that we're doing. And then on the other hand, you have, um, one, and, and I believe this is an old friend of mine, but I can't remember the details on this, but it's the pros of Prozac, mm -hmm. right? And so you have these two extremes of, you know, medication for mental health is bad. Medication for mental health is great. And it's probably somewhere in the middle where if you don't need it because you can do other things, that's awesome. That's probably better. But there are situations where maybe because of past trauma or chemical imbalance or whatever, you just need that. And that's okay. Yeah. I, I think there shouldn't be a stigma around that. And it is a very case by case basis. And, and it's something that you need to figure out, you know, for yourself mm -hmm. with the help of others. Exactly. And I think that's kind of the key there is recognizing that there are natural ways that we can overcome that, but recognizing on the other side that it is chemical imbalance. It is a disease. It is, you know, there, there is something physically not working properly and we need to do whatever it takes to get back on track. So, you know, recognizing that it is an option and a valid option mm -hmm. and that you are valid in that And sometimes decision. necessary. Yeah. yeah. So just recognizing that it is okay. If you're one of those that is on medication or if you have family friends that are on medication, it is okay. And yeah. if that's what you need, then that's what you need. And if, it, if you choose to do something different, that's okay too. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think as that's As long as the what key. you're doing works for you. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So... 
So, right. and I think we'll dive deeper into medicine. Right? Yeah, another. Yeah, we'll definitely talk a little bit more about medicine. So, on that on that note, I think um, you know we've talked about talking it out. We talked about journaling. We talked about sharing our experiences. And I think one of the one of the best things that we can do to get the, those conversations started, like you said, sometimes it's difficult to start the conversation. Sometimes it's difficult to put our thoughts into words. And so, for our weekly challenge this week. Um, I, I want to challenge everybody to start a journal, right? That I think journaling is one of the best ways that we can actually start to process those thoughts and to release some of those things so we're not just holding everything inside. And it's a way that you can share that, hopefully in a private setting, right? Ho hopefully nobody else is reading that or you know nobody that you don't want to read that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's a way for you to process kind of those personal thoughts. And, and allows you a chance to kind of get that conversation started and at least be able to put words to how you're feeling. And so if you're currently keeping a journal, keep doing it, keep doing it <laughs> and, and work to get there daily. If you're, if you're not doing a journal currently, then I, I highly recommend that you start keeping a journal and, and set a goal, you know, at least once or twice a week or just whenever, you know, um, but I would I would say definitely have kind of a structure there if you're just starting out, kind of have a structure there and a time that you've scheduled that will be your journaling time and mm -hmm. and you know it it's probably going to be a rough start it's it's going to take some time for you to get the hang of kind of how it should be but it should be very personal and and the things that you're writing the things that you're saying to yourself should be very personal to you and and whatever that is whether you're just sharing the events of the day or whether you're opening up into your mind and sharing some of your, your deepest, darkest secrets, right? That, that should be very personal to you. Nothing incriminating though. Yeah. Keep, keep that out. Yeah. You know, no, keep, no keep writing the incriminating out. stuff out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's the challenge for this week is, is journaling. If you have one currently, keep doing it. Work to get there daily. If you don't have one yet, start to, to put it into your mm -hmm. daily habit. I used to think that journaling was a girly thing, right? And I didn't do it partly because of that. Yeah. And um, I realized that was that was kind of a stupid thought. Um, but I read a study that said something like journaling at least one to two sentences every day for a period of, I think it was four or six months, somewhere around there, had a significant increase on mm -hmm. overall happiness. So um, it's not just to you know, get in touch with your thoughts or, or record things for maybe future children, grandchildren, and that those are positive things too, but it just helps you be happier. So yeah. um, just a couple of small things a day can make a big difference. So it doesn't have to be like a 30 minute journal entry every day. Maybe once in a while you have that, but uh, just write at least a couple of sentences. Yeah. I think it was actually, uh, I think it was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that, um, basically said kind of that same thing. He said, if you are not currently writing something right now, challenge yourself to write one sentence a day or even one word a day. Just just write one word about how you're feeling, what you're thinking, and, th and that's it. Hold yourself to that because that's a habit. I, everybody can write one word mm -hmm. a day or yeah. one sentence a day. And so challenge yourself to just start with that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget Absolutely. to give us a five-star review. If you found this helpful or you think this would be helpful for someone else, go ahead and share it with somebody. We want to grow this. We want to help as many people as we can. Uh, we're on this, this path where we're trying to become happier and healthier. 
and we want to share that with others and help others to do the same. Yep. So join us and and continue watching, continue listening. We we appreciate you being here. And you know, come back next week. We will be exploring our third pillar, right? So we're gonna be talking about our third pillar, which is spiritual health. And we're gonna talk about the role that that can play in our overall health and well-being. Yeah. So thank you, take care. We'll see you later. Bye.